Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com on today's French Open Round 2 catch-up. Karolina Pliskova falls to a French wildcard. Alcaraz and Zverev battle back from the brink. And Karolina Mukova stuns the fourth seed, Maria Sakkari. Kim, today is the 26th of May and we are here to catch up on round two at the French Open at Passing Shot HQ. We've had another couple of enthralling days at Roland Garros. A few more shocks, a few more great matches, particularly on the men's side yesterday with Alcaraz and Zverev coming back from the brink from match point down against Sebastian Baez and Albert ramos Vinolas. Some really fun matches to watch in the day session and today also we've had some great matches some local wildcards as well getting through some unheralded names names that we have been coming more and more familiar with throughout the week with sort of the more fancy names kind of going out earlier on which again has also left me a little bit continged with sadness particularly with Plushkova and uh, Simona Hallett. Yeah, very sad that Simona Halep's gone out in the second round. You know, that's a player that I never want to go out that early of a tournament. Paris wept and passing short HQ wept as well, Kim. <laughs> um, yeah, she, she, I don't think she was at her best. And, you know, full credit to um, Zheng Chinwen uh, for, for the win. You know, she's a young up and coming Chinese player. So obviously one, one to watch and, and, you know, fabulous effort from her. Um, but yeah, along with Pliskova and uh, Zachary, you know, some some top names on the women's side out. So uh, whether they're they're really you know as big a shock as they might look on paper, if you weren't following tennis, um, you know I don't think anyone would be particularly surprised too much by any of the results. But a um, lot of the top ten seeds out. Pliskova is the sixth uh, woman in the top ten to now have lost. So <laughs> I think I feel like it's all shaping up for Shrontek to win, which many of us assumed but for her to potentially win with the 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 fewest games lost uh of any grand slam like ever i mean the way alison risk today was celebrating just winning a game i feel just shows how much of an achievement it is maybe there should just be a ceremony for every time a player comes up against a Shvion tech and uh and actually gets a game because it, even that feels like quite a challenge at the moment i mean she is now on a 30 match win streak which I think has only been done, I think, only three other times uh, post-millennium. So you can obviously tell what a run of form she is on. But uh, yeah, a lot to a lot to dissect, a lot to talk about. We've also got the night session, the first female match uh, in the French Open night session this evening. Yelena Ostapenko against home hope Elise Cornet. So uh, we'll be previewing that in a bit. Kim, I'm really excited for this episode before we get into everything because... For you and our listeners, I have got a path for the courts for you. I I know we normally do path for the courts in our regular tour catch-ups, but I found a stat yesterday that I thought was too good not to bring up in the pod. So I've got a really juicy PFC for you. PFC. Brilliant. Well, why not mix it up and bring it into a Grand Slam episode? I think that would be some fun. Uh, I assume it's Roland Garros related. Otherwise, that would be slightly odd. So we'll we'll get on to that I'm later. I'm not going to tell you what it is, though. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm just going to bring it up on the sly at some point in the episode. So I'm going to keep you guessing until I'm just going to drop drop it on you. Okay, well, let's uh, look out for that one then. Um, but yeah, getting on to the actual tennis action, we, yeah, I mean, we had the um, 
the Pliskova lost today. And I guess the, the main story here is perhaps not Carolina Pliskova losing, but who she lost to. Um, Leolia Jean-Jean, who's a 26-year-old French French lady who had never, ever played at all level main draw match before or a top 50 player before this week. And now she's beaten two top 50 players in the space of a few days. Um, got her first win, of, of course, over a top 10 player in Carolina Pliskova. So along with Diane Parry, who also made it through to the third round. Um, we've got, you know, some really great, like, kind of up and coming French women um, going, you know, almost into the second week. Perhaps they can go further, um, which is fantastic. And, um, you know, just sort of looking at Jean Jean's career, you know, she sort of went off to a university in the States, got a, an MBA, and only started playing pro last year. And she's just going up and up and up in the rankings. So, you know, it's, it's fantastic to just see someone that we've never come across before. She's it's got a really good record for this season, though. Obviously, she's been playing much lower ranked um, level tournaments, but obviously that, that form that she's been been in has paid dividends against Pliskova today. Yeah, she looked really, really at home on the clay. Uh, as you said, her form this season has been great. Twenty eight wins, only nine losses in twenty twenty two, and against Pliskova today, she just. She just really steamrolled her, um, you know, particularly I think it was great to see her bring out a drop shot, but she had great variety, I think, to her game and Pliskova didn't really have an answer. And as well as Jean-Jean was playing, yeah, Pliskova was just not not really at the races, which was, you know, a bit of a shame because, you know, those ranking points for, for Wimbledon are going to be dropping off very soon. And uh, Pliskova, who was very much, I feel, you know, last season, uh, season before that, season before that, very much a you know stalwart consistent player that one you would expect in the WTA top 10 rankings but you know unfortunately because of this result you know the the circumstances with Wimbledon at the moment uh being that ranking points will not be uh you know will be taken off from uh from the players um yeah she's going to be kind of sliding down quite quickly which is a bit of a you know a bit of a sad thing to see but uh yeah for Jean Jean it's been a great a great story because she's not, you know, she's not the, she's not the youngest player game. She's not breaking on at, at 17 years old. She, you know, she's 26 and she has had a bit of a roller coaster in terms of her, her career so far. I mean, she was very much touted as, you know, I think one of the next big hopes for, for French tennis as a junior, um, you know, was playing some very, very good ball um, coming up on the tour and was perhaps, you know, expecting to make that, you know, that transition, earlier on but unfortunately uh you know injuries took a, a toll on her and it sort of very much kind of stunted her progress and as you said she sort of I think went back um you know assessed you know assessed her options and decided well actually I'm gonna go do an MBA in finance um which she did in, in 2019 which is amazing um and play tennis at the same time it all of course doing this all in the in the states at Lynn University and uh you know it's it's you know seemingly kind of paid dividends her first full pro season was last year 2021 and she's gone up the rankings from 1180 to 380 i think going into this season and she's just gone up and up and up and it's just been very 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 impressive and it just shows i think having perseverance and you know having to have overcome adversity it can take time but if you have that you know if you have that tenacity and that belief um and you can apply yourself you know long enough keep yourself motivated you can get moments like these come along you know in your in your home tournament on the clay in Paris and she must feel completely over the moon it's a bit of an Emma Raducanu kind of home hope story isn't it you know I was thinking last year at Wimbledon when you know Emma went into the they came through into the fourth round and everyone was you know amazed and everyone was getting behind her so it's it's kind of reminiscent of that a bit so I mean I wish her well and she's up next against uh Begu of, of Romania who arguably Joel should not even be in the tournament because there was a lot of controversy today in Begu's match with Alexandrova um around a, a racket throw that went into the the racket ended up going into the crowd um almost hit a, a child who was in floods of tears um lots of discussion 
you know, was uh, Vega going to get defaulted? Was she not? Um, in the end, she was able to carry on. She, she got a code violation, but um, Alexandra was not happy. Um, the crowd were booing. Begu ended up winning. She actually did very well after this this sort of mid match incident. Um, won six six of like the last eight games and came through in in, the, in three sets. I mean, what did you make of this? I've been replaying the video of the the bit where she throws the racket um, over and over again to sort of assess like speed and her her motivations and her her feelings at the time when she physically made this action. I mean, what do you what do you think, Joel? Do you think the decision that was made is the, is the right one, or do you think she should have gone? Yeah, it's 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 a tough one, isn't it? It's you know, looking at the the film, it's not great. Um, I'm at first. My first reaction was, I'm amazed the bounce she got from the the racket when she, you know, slammed it into the ground. It just lifted off and and went into, you know, went into the crowd. She, you know, she, it wasn't like she was expecting. I think that to happen. Um, but at the same time, there will be people out there who will say you've got to be accountable for your actions. And although you know there are, I think, some sort of conflicting reports on on social media, the impression I get is that no one you know was necessarily hurt from the crowd um there's there was talks of a, a child uh, in tears uh you know upset at the kind of situation what they had just kind of seen before them but no one uh was injured um and i think this is where the point of contention is because i think there are going to be some people who think well you know people who think it might not be a default because no one got injured that's absolutely fine it was just an accident let's play on but there's certainly I think people out there who think well actually it doesn't matter if a player got injured we can't just bring in defaults once you know someone you know gets injured that you know that should happen and we've seen that happen before I think you know David Nalbandian back in Queens when he uh, you know kicked the you know kicked the, the lines judge accidentally but you know that made sense but certainly here does it matter that, that nothing you know there was no sort of pain or suffering suffered by any fan on court I think that's what it boils down to was there not mental pain though uh even if it didn't actually hit um anyone the the child was in floods of tears and I don't know it just I know looking at the throw it didn't seem like it was the most violent angry throw it was more like a, a casual frustration and it seemed to you know the racket like hit the uh sort of the box to the side of the seating and yeah I was very surprised that it had such a trajectory afterwards but I just think you think she should have got defaulted I just think you know you've got to be it's so very easily could have hit someone and it could have been really awful and I just don't think waiting for it to actually hit someone is the right way to assess whether it's going to be allowed or not and I just feel that (sighs) And I know we don't see this as much on the women's tour, to be fair. It is mostly on the men's tour, um, all these incidents. I just, I would have defaulted her, I think. I, I'm quite a hard, I hate it when people throw rackets, whether that's, you know, casually or really, really fits of anger. I don't like it. Um, so I uh, I would have I would have had a go, to be quite honest. I, I agree with Alexandra on this one. I mean, obviously, Alexandra would have wanted her defaulted because she would have been able to just win then and there. But, yeah. you know, I think I think, think you know, I think for Alexandra, you know, the situation got in her head. And as soon as that happened, she you know, she lost the match, just completely got away from her and she wasn't able to, to reset. So I, I can understand her kind of frustration. You know, the, the supervisor did come out onto the court. So there was some kind of decision making. There was some sort of group decision making going on there. But obviously they came to the conclusion that the match uh, could kind of go ahead. But uh, yeah, certainly Alexandra didn't feel that was the case. Um, she just felt like there was no real consequence. And, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a real tough one. I th- I personally, I'm not sure. Again, I just think the racket just ended up in the crowd. And for me, there was not enough threat or or danger for it to be um, dangerous enough, I think, to warrant a default. I can certainly see, you know, your argument in terms of we can't just wait until a person gets injured before we can start talking about defaults. But certainly, I think, yeah, for me... It just looked fairly innocuous and I don't I want defaults to happen because of specific intent and 
yeah, for me, there wasn't enough intent there, I think, for me to say, yeah, I would have I've given her a default. So I think she got very, very lucky because, you know, I'm not an umpire and an umpire, a different umpire would have potentially seen that differently. You know, another supervisor would have seen that that differently. But I would I would have probably been like, I think a caution for me. Yeah, maybe would have been OK. No, I mean, I, I'd see both sides of it i've just i think i'm the, i keep we keep seeing more of these incidences and i just think you've got to be as strict as possible so um well what do you what do our listeners think i'd love to know what people think i was reading some youtube comments which is always a bit of a dodgy thing to do isn't it but a lot of djokovic fans sort of making the point that oh if begu wasn't going to be defaulted then he shouldn't have been at the us open because you know he didn't intend to hit the line judge but obviously the difference there is that he did physically hit her um you know obviously without intent but um so whether that's a extreme you know exactly a relatable incident but um yeah certainly the drama of the day i think uh out on the begu match um, I, I, Kim, I do just think players i know this is going to sound really silly Players just needs, I feel like, education in how to throw a racket to sort of mitigate any sort of dramatic circumstances. So rather than throw it in, in a way that, you know, it bounces off a frame, just throw it like horizontal. So it just, you know, just leaves a clay imprint of the racket into the ground. And there's like very little that could go wrong from that situation perhaps like i do doubt though i don't think they're the atp and the wta are going to sponsor how to throw your racket no, classes no, somehow absolutely <laughs> not but if i was in the team if i was internally in the team i would take it upon myself to be like <laughs> if you do want to throw your racket begu then i would suggest doing it in a horizontal way not doing it in a way that's gonna potentially bounce up six feet into the crowd and yeah, you're leaving it up to the, the French Open gods to see what happens. Yeah, well, um, that's an alternative <laughs> way of looking at it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, let's talk about the other women's matches from today. We mentioned Simona Hallett losing. So she lost to Zheng Quinn. Sorry, Zheng Chin Wen. Um, apologies for trying to say that and failing. <laughs> um, who, yeah, is very up and coming. Um, recently just made her debut in the top 100. Um, again, she's been racking up titles on the ITF tour. Um, she also reached the semi-final of one of the pre-AO uh, kind of Melbourne series events. Um, and yeah, made her Grand Slam debut at the AO this year. So she's now into the third round. Really interesting, actually, reading how she kind of has modelled her game on on Lina, who was, you know, a big Chinese hero of, of hers and um, she's also been working um, in her when she was younger with Carlos Rodriguez who used to coach Justine Enan so um, they and she's now working with Pere Reba who is a kind of ex uh, ATP player Spanish player out in Barcelona so uh, very interesting kind of I guess upbringing who she's worked with and yeah now now playing dividends I suppose um which is is nice to see um you know and, and but poor old Halep is obviously the one that's come a cropper to to Zheng it's a bit of a shame Halep had the doctor on court she didn't take a medical time out but you know you know one likes to see a player bringing the you know the doctor on and I don't know if there were kind of physical or breathing difficulties that were impacting Halep's game because she started so well you know she went up 6-2 in that first set looks like a you know routine match for her but uh the tide turned pretty quickly and um you know Zhang just went off and, and won you know the second set and third set 6-2 6-1 so you could tell that there was a big momentum shift there and uh you know it was interesting kind of reading up on the on the result and and looking at, at Zhang's kind of course to this this match and as you said she modelled her game on Linar and, and it was interesting to hear, particularly about the aggression and the power that you need as a, a, a player, particularly when you're, you know, a youngster. She's, you know, she's only 17 years old, that you're going to need that in order to kind of thrive on the, the the WTA tour. And, you know, she's probably looked at other teenagers as well, you know, players like uh, Emma Raducanu, Clara Torsen, Marta Kostuk. And certainly I think having, you know, that aggression, uh, that power on the court really kind of helps you, I think, assert your kind of authority in the game. And, you know, she had a few good wins at the, the start of the season, I think. Um, you know, she really kind of came out in in Australia at the start of the season, had a few good wins there. So, you know, she has, you know, I think looking at those kind of other players that 
you know, her similar age, um, she recognises that, you know, she needs that power in order to kind of compete. It was interesting, again, to read about Radikanu in the, in the build-up to her, her loss against Saznovic. Again, talk about adding extra muscle to kind of her, her physique in order to be ready for for the tour. And um, yeah, I think with the way kind of Zhang plays, you know, trying to hit winners, using the clay court, all that, all those sorts of things really kind of helped her. And yeah, it might have taken her a set to get going. But once she was in full flight, Unfortunately, Halep didn't have a lot to to stop her. Exactly. Um, just uh, not her day. And obviously she's not feeling 100%, So, which is never never nice to see. Um, I mean, you mentioned Raducanu um, just then. Obviously, she's she's lost uh, to Sasnovich 6-1, 6-1 in those, in those last two sets, mm. which is such a shame. Uh, perhaps not surprising. You know, she does seem to, to be f- feeling the pressure. I mean, John McEnroe's come out been quite critical I know he said this before but he just thinks that because she's changed coach so many times it's been a, a revolving door as he's put it um, and she's not able to kind of handle the expectation of her being a Grand Slam champion and I mean I I wouldn't I don't think he's wrong in the sense that you know I, I would be surprised if she wasn't feeling pressure you know all this newfound fame and attention um, I think it's perfectly normal to feel that way I think it would be strange if you weren't feeling that way and I, I do hope that she can get a stable coaching relationship set up that that she persists with and that works for her um but yeah a shame to see her go out so early but I I don't think it's a surprise for for anyone to be honest when I saw that she was playing Sasimich I thought oh yeah she's a she's a tricky player on, on her day anyway even if you are playing super well yeah, I agree. Sasnovich is a very wily competitor. You know, she's been as high, I think, as, you know, near the, the top 30. Usually does well at, at Grand Sams, you know, has a capacity, has a knack of even being able to deliver upsets on the on the Grand Slam stage. So, yeah, a bit unfortunate. Was a bit meek as well, given, again, Radicani just started so well. But, uh, again, Sasnovich was just able to kind of come back and it was really kind of no stopping her and she just sort of hit through the ball and yeah, Radicani was just left, I felt just sort of flat-footed on the, on the baseline. So unfortunate result for, for Radicanu. Today we also had Jesse Pagula and Paola Bedosa also come through both in three sets. Jessica Pagula again, Kim, she needed like a million match points <laughs> to take, to, to win against Kalanina, but she got it done 6-4 in the third Pedosa also as well had to come through a, a mid, mid-match mid wobble. Uh, Kaya Yuvan taking a second set 6-3, but coming through as well. So I think they will be quite happy in the sense of they've they've had their kind of little battle, you know, face adversity. They've come through it. And yeah, it'll be good to see how they kind of continue and they progress. But uh, yeah, I feel like they perhaps needed a bit of a tussle to really kind of get them into the tournament, really kind of looking forward potentially into week two. I've got Badosa losing to Kudometova in my predictions in the next round. So here we go. <laughs> it's all on. But yeah, I mean, she did have a, a toughie against Kaya Yuvan, who did really well in Strasbourg last week, mm. only narrowly losing to Kerber in that really Kerber, tight yeah. final. So she's obviously in, in good form. And um, yeah, good good win for Badosa to, to come through that one. Bit, bit tough. And and also Jessie Pagula as well. Um, obviously, we mentioned Shvontek earlier. She's just been steamrolling her way through. So um, perhaps at some point in the tournament, she'll have a closer match. Um, I think there's something ridiculous. Like Shvontek's won 15 sets this year alone, all of which have been bagels, um, which is, uh, I mean... It's only him. It's only May, exactly. Serena Williams in 2013 had 25 bagels in the year. But I mean, you know, Shvontek's what? Almost halfway halfway through the year almost. She's got plenty of time. I think she's on to break it at the moment. So that's what I'm, uh, yeah. I've, maybe maybe I should put a bet on that. I don't know. I feel like <laughs> I feel like Eager can do it. <laughs> um, and yeah, we've got Cornet Ostapenko tonight, which... Um, I guess we won't preview it too much because by the time most people listen to this, it will have happened. And it's probably, it might be a very, you know, fizzled out affair. Yeah, you said you've got, you thought that's got 40 minutes written all over it. No, I didn't say that. I just said <laughs> that as this is the first women's night match, potentially it could be over in 40 minutes. And the, the danger of scheduling just one match in the night session, which they've been doing, is that if you get a retirement or something, then... I don't know if they've got like backups to, to come in. Maybe they will have a you know a late night doubles match. I'll just move over if that's the case. But you know all the other night sessions are other slams. They have you know at least two matches. So 
I think it's an interesting sort of decision to just have the one match. Um, but I'm glad that they've given it to to the women, and it's not just going to be men every every evening. I think obviously we've seen from the French scheduling in the past that it's not exactly <laughs> been favourable to women. So I'm glad that they have chosen to put this match on because you know it's home hope. Cornet, very interesting player. Um, obviously the French crowd. She may very well be retiring this year. You know she alluded to that fact earlier this this season. And then you've got former champion who is known for being very feisty and up and down. So it could be a very entertaining match. I think they've chosen well with that one. Um, and, you know, we saw Rafa in the night session yesterday against Corentin Moutet, who, um, you know, was was pretty entertaining at times, made a bit more of a, a show of it in the third set. But Rafa, you know, was able to come through comfortably. Um, Novak also through comfortably yesterday. Uh, today we've had Medvedev, Rude, uh, Holger Rune, all through in straight sets, all continuing their, well, their good form and Medvedev getting into good form again since coming back. Um, I mean, you, you've been pretty happy though, um, Joel, haven't you? Because uh, Gilles Simon has uh, been mm. been doing well as well, and he's he's one yeah. of your your favourites, isn't he? Yeah, where has he, this, where has this come from? I think putting this is a the smile first on time... your face. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the first time he's in the third round at the French Open since 2018. I don't think anyone anyone saw this coming. Um, he's another player like Joe Wilfred Songer who uh, is retiring. I think. Um, you know, he's going to get a retirement ceremony after his final match um, at Roland Garros. And again, he's probably surprised himself a little bit. He's, I think, had a quite a, you know, he had a quite a tough first round against uh, Karenio Buster coming through in five. He was two sets up, um, but managed to get it done in, in the fifth set. And uh, against Steve Johnson today, yeah, just kind of came through straight sets, no fuss. And he's into the third round. I'm excited to see how far he can go uh, he just doesn't want that ceremony does he does he saw joe wilfried songa have the ceremony he was there for it and he was like this is not for me just yet yeah he doesn't want the uh all the crying and the attention and the <laughs> cake and the candles and everything um i mean yeah I, did you have pcb in the semi-final predictions or was no. that for another that was another tournament wasn't it recently you definitely predicted pcb to get to the semis of something kim that's i feel like that's something <laughs> you would that's something you well, would do it is normally. That's why I was surprised that you'd done it. But oh, yeah, okay. So you didn't for this tournament. But um, yeah, what a shame for PCB. I was relying on him to go a bit deeper than that. But um, yeah, Jill Simon has Marin Cilic next. So bit of a old school match up there. Cilic has been doing pretty well um, so far in this this tournament. And, and interestingly, him, Simon, Simon's head-to-head record against Marin Cilic. He's won six, lost one. So he's got big... You know, there's a big, uh, there's a big discrepancy there. I don't, I felt like that would have been a lot closer than I was uh, expecting. But uh, yeah, Simon maybe arguably goes in the in as the favourite against Chilich, who's despite you know probably being the, you know, the more celebrated tennis player, Simon seems to like that matchup quite, quite, quite well. Yeah, especially with the the home crowd. So mm. um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, just looking at results from today as well. Well, we we've got a few matches that aren't quite over yet Rublev's serving for the match uh, against Del Bonis uh, in the fourth set Sinner's two sets to one up against Carballes Baina Sitspass has dropped the third set but uh well I expect he'll um he'll come through we we, uh, we missed his uh five sets uh mm. event on Tuesday night because we we recorded just prior to that but he pulled off the a great escape against Lorenzo Massetti didn't he on Tuesday night uh Massetti was two sets up to Novak here, wasn't he, last year and, and lost. So he'll be wanting to like not let that two-set lead slip again because it's uh, happened twice now. Um, and, you know, Sitspass, though, coming back again from two-set deficit, which he seems to be... He seems to quite like doing that, actually. Um, he um, he did it here, I think, before in the... Well, last year as well, in the first round, I think it yes. was. Jaume Munar. Yeah. I mean, it's not a habit I feel like you want to necessarily get into, but uh, yeah, it's certainly, I think, good thing to have potentially in your on your locker. But uh, yeah, I feel like he might want to be putting away these opponents that you would have thought would be a little bit easier than than he is them making it out to be. Having said that, I was watching a bit of the, the Sissipas match earlier and Kolar was playing very, very well utilizing the drop shot very very effectively so um yeah tough match on his hands but still would expect Sissipas to come through that Rublev as well is just about to win against Del Bonis. so a few of the you know the top seeds making their way through I'm still Kim a little bit surprised by how well 
I'm sorry, how easily Daniel Medvedev is is coming through the the draw so far. I mean, Lazogier is a pretty pretty competent clay quarter. He's had a pretty decent you know decent season on the clay uh, so far in 2022. I remember he had a very good match against Novak Djokovic at the Serbia Open when he pushed him to to three. But uh, yeah, Medvedev just just coming through the just coming just coming through the draw I yeah was not really sort of expecting to to see that I do think as I said in my predictions I do think he's going to lose to to Ketmanovic maybe in round four but yeah it's nice to see him doing well on a on a surface that we all know that he he is he is less than fond of exactly and uh, we'll be talking about the rest of the men's action from the second round uh, in just a second we'll be taking a quick break now but do join us uh, when we look back at day four um, as well as some other bits and bobs from the world of tennis so do not go anywhere Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to carrying on with second round results. Uh, yesterday, we had, well, pretty much the tale of five sets. We had two um, two key matches on the men's side of the draw, didn't we, Joel? Uh, which was uh, two, two five-set events. Um, we had the Carlos Alcaraz uh, against uh, Albert Ramos Vinolas. And then we also had Sasha Zverev against Sebastian Baez. Um, I mean... I was surprised that Alcaraz Ramos Vinales went five. I wasn't surprised about Zverev Baez. So, um, I mean, what do you think of of Alcaraz and his prospects for this tournament? Given that he, you know, has played this roller coaster match now against, you know, Ramos Vinales, who is a very stalwart clay court player. You know, will just last for hours and hours on a clay court. <laughs> you know, this was four and a half hours long. I think it was Alcaraz's longest match of his whole career. Um, but do you does this question how how far you think he can go, or do you do you think he's feeling the pressure somewhat? With you know, this really should have been regulation for him. I mean, yeah, I, this this match did catch me off guard. I was not expecting to see Alcaraz match point down um, with you know potentially huge upset, probably the you know the biggest upset on the on the men's draw so far. But at the same time, the, the confidence that Alcaraz is playing with he just has such great belief that even when he is playing terribly and in this match at times you know he wasn't playing particularly well I mean he made 74 errors across the whole you know across the whole match and um you know even despite that he found a way to win and you know I feel like we say time and time again you know with with the, the, the best champions they always find a way to win when they're not playing well. And I feel like this is exactly what Carlos Alcaraz did against Ramos Vernolas in the, the second round. And although, yeah, he would have probably gone in and expected to, you know, win maybe in, in three or four. And yeah, Ramos Vernolas, very tough customer on a clay court. You know, yes, he's, he's 34 years old. I feel like he's in Alcaraz's shadow now, but actually at the same time, he's got all of that experience and when Alcaraz was you know, not on his game, he was certainly making the most of it. And even in that, you know, even after that match point and into that fifth set, there were still times when, you know, Ramos Vanellas was really pushing Alcaraz to the limit. But, uh, you know, Alcaraz at the moment just has that tremendous belief, I think, instilled by, in him by his team, obviously by his results as well this season. And it just shows, I think, with this result, how much it's going to take in order to to take him out because although Ramos Vanolas was very, very close, you did feel once that, once that one opportunity came and went, you felt, you felt that Alcaraz was inevitably going to reel him in. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I think um, I, I would have been surprised if he hadn't have, have come through. I know he was match point down, but I, I still had faith, but I, I'm just sort of questioning, you know, he can't afford to, make a, a habit of this um, maybe I'm I don't know we're overestimating his his chances but you know a lot of times champions and whatnot they do have dodgy matches you've got to come through them how many times have people won tournaments and then they've been match point down earlier on so I'm not saying he's going to go and win the tournament but um you know it's important to come through these matches and you're inevitably going to get these at times aren't you so um 
I'm I'm glad he's I'm glad he's come through. Um, we also had Sasha Zverev, of course. He was two sets down to Byers. He said he had started planning his holiday in Monaco, <laughs> what he was going to do on the beach, great. And partying, and I was like, yeah, I can. I'd love <laughs> I'd love to be planning my holiday to Monaco. Great, and no, that would definitely relax you, I think. And and obviously that that's what it did. He just thought, well, I'm just gonna chill out. I can't play any worse. And he obviously was able to relax into it. And, um, you know, he was got the job done in, in five sets in the end. So a um, bit, bit of a sad moment for Baez. You know, he must have been thinking this could be his his big moment. But I'm sure that will come in time because he's he's a good prospect. It was actually nice to see. I watched, you know, I watched all of this match and, and Zverev at the net, uh, you know, at the end, you know, spoke to Baez and said, look, I know how you're feeling. I was there. US Open final, two sets up lost it in five so it was nice to see that sort of compassion bit between the two of them um but yeah Baez was playing fantastic particularly those first two sets felt like Zverev was giving him a lot of room to maneuver with he was so far behind the baseline Baez was more on top of it and he was just moving Zverev around quite easily and I was thinking oh could be it could be an upset on the cards here if, if Baez is able to kind of maintain the level he was playing at but Zverev's again slowly but surely kind of got into his groove yes it did take a couple of sets but um you know once he was in the zone um Baez didn't really have uh you know an answer you know answer to him particularly in in sets three and four but uh that fifth set was really really exciting really really entertaining and it was, uh, I guess, a you know, big disappointment for Byers, but he's such a, he's such an entertainer and such a crowd pleaser. I can't wait to see him, you know, more on a tennis court throughout, you know, this season. I think he really kind of gets the gets the crowd excited, and uh, you know, this match particularly for me was one of the matches so far. I think in in the men's draw, given you know the way it kind of panned out, great to see. I think Zverev come through in the end, but uh, yeah, he was definitely given. More than a more than a wobble throughout the match, and he real had to come. He had to come overcome some real adversities to get the job done. Yeah, definitely. Um, Cam Nerry, Cam, Cam Nerry, Cam Nori, <laughs> Cam Nori going really well though. Hasn't dropped a set yet uh, for you know British side of things. Dan Evans though has lost today four sets to Mikhail Ima. Uh, I mean, disappointing. Di- bit disappointing. Yeah, I was. I was kind of thinking Dan might. It might go five, but I thought Dan would come through. So I think he'll be a bit disheartened by that. But we are coming into the grass court season where we know like Dan loves to play. So maybe it will end up being a blessing in disguise that he's got more time to to prep for, for Wimbledon and, and the grass court thing, uh grass court side of things. But yeah, see how how far Norrie can go. I think he's got Karen Karen Hatchnov next. Um which, you know, he's he's beaten him recently. Yeah, um yeah. he knows he can beat him. So I I'm really Crossing. So we're expecting him to lose him, basically. <laughs> I'm just crossing my fingers. I'd love Norrie to break new territory, Grand Slam. He deserves it after all his hard work and effort. So I, I really hope he can do it. Um, one seeded player that won't be going any further is is Maria Sakkari. We mentioned earlier she lost to Carolina Mukova. We did say this was potentially a bit of a upset. Uh, we could go could go close. You know, Mukova is former top 20 player. She's usually seeded for slams, but she's had a bit of an up and down past kind of year due to an, an abdominal injury. So hasn't really played that much since like the US Open last year. Uh, so I guess, you know, we know on her day she's uh, capable uh, when she's you know fit and, and healthy. And she's she was uh, showing that stuff uh, against Zachary. 7-6, seven, 7-6, six, seven, six, queen of the tie breaks coming through. Uh, so Zachary, you know, former semi-finalist from from last year she'll be losing uh losing all those points uh unfortunately for her but yeah uh, good for Mukova she's uh, one of those players I always enjoy watching and perhaps she'll be able to make the most of of this bit of the draw now um now that Zachary's out and obviously ruining our predictions from just the other day (laughs) I know exactly but yeah great great for Mukova she has got a real knack (laughs) similar to um you know Kai Kanepi great record against uh, top 10 players particularly at Grand Slams she's got the you know she's got the caliber she's got the credibility and uh, you know this was going to be you know Zachary would have gone into this knowing that she would have gone in knowing that she was going to have a real fight on her hands and you know perhaps on another day uh, you know it would have gone you know the other way for you know two tiebreak sets it was a quite a close match but um you know for for Mukova it was yeah great to see you know she is one of those players who 
again, we don't really hear about her because of, unfortunately, because of injury, which takes her off the, the tour. And then she call, you know, then she comes back on and it's great to see another, another comeback story because I feel like we've had seen quite a few in the, you know, in the, in the women's draw. And uh, yeah, this is just another one to, to add to the list. So uh, yeah, nice to see from Mukova. Absolutely. We've also still got um, Victoria Azarenka, Coco Goff, Leila Fernandez, Amanda Anisimova. They all came through. Also Sloane Stevens. Um, mm. She came through against, I think, was it Serana Castella? Castella. Yeah. Uh, who won was... the last 12 games in that. Yeah, in that exactly. Uh, really routing her, like bageling her in, in the last set there. So um you know, former champion, former Grand Slam champion, I should say, former, former finalist at the French as well. Um, so nice to see Sloane coming through. I, it's like, who's going to come through this section, isn't it? it? It's really, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Angelique Kerber comes through as well, you know, yeah. battling through that first round match. And I mean, who do you think is the most dangerous person left in this, this part of the draw? Because I'm still looking at Anna Samova. I think she's playing... Very, very well at the moment. Um, but I again, I again, I look at players like Leila Fernandez is also playing well. Coco Goff's sort of coming through the draw unnoticed. Um, yeah, some real, some really interesting kind of players to kind of keep an eye on. But for me, Anisimova, given what she's done here before, perhaps she has the edge a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I've got a funny feeling about Kerber. Um, uh, but oh, what she's going to go complete the the career grand slam? Well, no, not all the way, <laughs> but just maybe semi finals or something. Uh, but actually, I would love her to to get the career grand slam. I think that'd be cool. But I mean, it's quite unexpected. But I just never say never. <laughs> um, really nice though for Daria Saville. I thought you know she she kind of she's obviously a player that's coming back from this awful injury and you know, has some good results this year. Um, she's actually got quite a, well. A, an all right record against Kvitova, but she, yeah, beat her in straight sets, 6-4, 6-2. So um, really nice for Saville. Um, I hope she can carry on through the draw. I'd, I'd like to see that. Um, and also, I think we mentioned this earlier, but Diane Parry backing up that win over over Krichikova as well, who incidentally has COVID and is out of the doubles. So um, even if she had have come through that first round match, I guess she would have been out with, with discovering she had COVID. So she wouldn't have been able to... Yeah defend her title anyway uh which is you know just awful timing yeah a real week to forget i feel for critique of a testing positive defending champion out in round one maybe had some sort of hope for the the doubles but unfortunately not able to to play it so yeah she'll be kind of looking to to move on moving on to the grass kim i'm going to talk to you about kaya kanepi also because she beat Haddad Meyer 6-4-6-4 so she is potentially marching on to who knows another quarter final but I did mention my path for the courts earlier and actually it is to do with Kaya Kanepi oh is it who she's beaten in oh, first round be, slams? It <laughs> so all she's equated with really isn't it that's that's what she's known <laughs> as for four <laughs> exactly so Kaya Kanepi is my topic for Path of the Courts for you and our listeners. And it is to do with who she has beaten um, at Grand Slams. And the topic for you, Kim, is this. Um, Kaya Kanepi now has 10 wins over top 10 ranked opponents at Grand Slams. And those have come against nine WTA players. I would like you to name me as many of those WTA top 10 ranked players that Kaya Kanepi has beaten at a Grand Slam. Oh, blimey. Okay. Um... And I, I know this is I know this is quite challenging. So I'm going to give you the, the, tour, the slam and the year it happened to give you a bit of a clue. And I'm going to give you I'm going to give you two lives as well to reach my past score because I do think it's quite a quite a challenging one so I'll, I'll I'll let you know this is the the past score I'm going to set for you so out of nine I think I think over 50 percent I'm, I'm going five out of nine with two lives and the events she has achieved this at are starting a while ago <laughs> uh, <laughs> French French Open 2008 Wimbledon 2010 US Open 2010 French Open 2012 Wimbledon 2013 
Wimbledon 2014, US Open 2018, Australian Open 2022. And French Open 2022. And French Open 2022. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Australian Open 2021, Australian Open 2022, and French Open 2022. Right. I think this is probably the hardest path of the courts you've given me, like, ever. <laughs> I think this is harder than the one I've we had. I've given you two lives. I've given you two lives. Okay. I've been helpful. Right. Oh, this is very, very, very niche, Joel. Um, okay, well, let's start with the obvious. Garbina Muguruza from this tournament. Correct. Yes, that is your first correct answer. Yeah. I'm sure she beat Simona Halep, didn't she? Because that's the whole where's Kai Kanepi in the draw thing. That's where it comes from. Correct. Yes, yeah. that was the US Open 2018. Uh, four years after her previous top 10 win. But uh, yeah, she defeated Simona Halep. So that's two. I have a feeling she beat Caroline Wozniacki, possibly Australia one year. Correct. Caroline Wozniacki is on the list. It was French Open oh, okay. 2012. Kanepi won 6-1, 6-7, 6-3 in the third round. Okay. So yeah, Wozniacki is right. So that's three. Kim, mm. you said this was difficult. <laughs> You've got two, I gave you two lies and you've got two more to get to get par for the courts. Yeah, but I don't know the others now. Um, <laughs> top 10 well, players. you know they're going to be in the top 10, top 10 players, yeah. She, I don't think she's beaten Osaka. Uh, I don't think she's beaten the Williams sisters. Um, and one of these players, she has done it twice. Oh, okay. Um, it's probably maybe like a Pliskova or a... I've instantly forgotten all players. It's not going to be Barty. Uh, maybe it's a Kerber. Could it have been a Kerber? Kerber? Yeah. Correct. Hey! Yes, <laughs> is on the list. 2013 Wimbledon. Uh, okay. Angelique Kerber was the world number seven and lost to Kanepi. So that is four correct answers. Are you going to do the unthinkable <laughs> and get half of the course? In one go, no lies lost, despite saying this is the hardest part of the courts you've ever set for me. Oh, I've just suddenly thought of someone it could be. But I mean, I'm just thinking of top 10 players over like the last 10 years. Uh, well, than... I will say, Kim, you still not got the players she defeated at the Australian Open 2021 and the Australian Open 2022, which are the most recent after Muguruza this year. And are they the same person? No. Oh, okay. Uh, it's not Sophia Kennan. Oh, oh, could it be Sophia Kennan, actually? Would she have lost the year after she won it to Kanepi? No. Oh, or could it be? <gasps> uh, the other person I was thinking about was Svitolina, because I think it's quite plausible she would have lost to Kanepi. So... <sighs> Who are you going for? Oh, well, I've got a few lives, haven't I? So, Sophia Kennan? Sophia Kennan? Yeah. Correct. Yes. yes! <laughs> Sophia Kenning is right. Yes. 2021 Australian Open. Kenin was the defending champion, but lost to Kanepi 6-3, 6-2 in the second round. Oh, skill, McGill. That was, I'm surprised that she got that all five in a row. Correct. Out of interest, was Svitolina on the list? I was hoping you weren't going to say Svitolina because Svitolina <laughs> is not oh. on the list. Um, you could have also given me Australian Open 2022. This year, Kanepi beat Arena Sabalenka uh. in three sets in the fourth round to reach the quarterfinals. You could have also given me the player who she has defeated twice, Yelena Jankovic at Wimbledon 2014, as well as the US Open 2010. And the final two I, will lo I was looking for, uh, a classic, Kim, uh, a classic player we always, I think, mention on the podcast from time to time, back in, in Wimbledon 2020, Sammy Sosa, <laughs> who was the world number six, believe it or not, back then <laughs> in, the, in the singles. But uh, yeah, Sam Sosa's on the list. And finally, a real tough one. I'll be amazed if any of our listeners got this. The player she defeated in the top 10 at the French Open in 2008, Anna Czech 
Vitadze. Ah, oh, I thought you were going to say Anna Ivanovic, but she won that tournament. No, yes. Oh, she no. was. Um, yeah, I remember Anna Chak Vitadze. She had a really long ponytail. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what I. It's the defining thing I remember about her. She had really long, like thick ponytail. Oh wow! I love the fact that Sam Stoes is on that list as well. I mean, I know, I know you love a bit of Sam Stoes in the singles. So, um, so your players were Czech Vitadze, Stoza, Jankovic, Wozniacki, Kerber, Halep, Kenin, Sabalenka, and Muguruza. So, listeners, let us know. Did you find that as difficult as Kim thought? Kim thought it was going to be. Did you? Did you get hundred percent? Did you get Czech Vitadze? Because uh, I, I definitely would not have got that. Can I just say, Joel, as we're recording this, the night session has begun. Elise Cornet is four love up. So my 40 Ooh. minutes prediction could be on. That's in 13 minutes they've played. So imagine, imagine. We'll see about we'll see about it. But, you know, <laughs> I had reservations, Kim, about saying this earlier, but I'm just going to say it now because you've just told me that scoreline. I think it's going to be a 40 minute three set match. I can see it being like a <laughs> six love Love six, six love, or love six, six love, six love, just because they are such combustible players that <laughs> blow so hot and so cold on a tennis court. I think it could be one of those, it could be one of those matches. And it's a historic occasion opening women's match at the, in a night session at the French Open. It's just, you know, all these elements, it could just lead to something really, really odd. We'll never have another one again, though, if it's over in 40 minutes. <laughs> There'll be a like, riot on the court. But um, no, I mean, this actually brings us on nicely to a bit of news from Wimbledon. Uh, Wimbledon have agreed to change the time old tradition on the honours board, whereby married women take the initials and surnames of their husbands. Um, and they're, well, they're using, sorry, they're, they're dropping the use of titles. So I don't know if... I'm trying to think of a person now, but say Angelique Kerber wins Wimbledon again, they, they're no longer going to put Miss or Mrs. Like, because, you know, it doesn't matter if someone's married as to whether they record their triumph as as that or not. So it, it would just be Angelique Kerber. And sorry, they're going to go back and update previous winners on the board um, so that they don't have the the husband's initials. So the example yeah. being banded around is when Chris Everett won in 1981, it was put down as Mrs. J.M. Lloyd because she was married to John Lloyd. Um, that's just going to become, I think, C. Everett Lloyd. Uh, so That's amazing. That hap- I can't believe that. I know. That is so, that is so unbelievably outdated, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, yeah, they, they've said that they are moving with the times and this is absolutely a great move. Love, love to see it. Um, as you said, there's no... There's no like title uh, on the men's side. They're just known as they're just Novak Djokovic or Novak Djokovic, Mister. Yeah, mm. um, I know they they don't say the titles when they announce the players anymore either. Like that was changed a few years ago. Could you have imagined if this feels like it wouldn't happen? But imagine if it's like 1981 at the moment, Wimbledon coming up, and your champion on the honors board would be Mrs. Gail Monfils. Like what? Oh what? yeah, <laughs> like, that would be ridiculous. That would be unbelievable, wouldn't it? They would just think, "Oh, sorry, they put that on the wrong board, and they put an S <laughs> on the Mister." Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just ludicrous. Um, but I, that's the way society was, sadly. Um, or, or perhaps, I mean, this is probably even more. I'm, I mean, very, very unlikely. Stroke, probably not possible. Mrs. Luke Savile. Yeah. Oh, are you saying Daria Savile has no chance to win Wimbledon, Joel? <laughs> um, oh. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy with her to prove me wrong, but I think that's sort of what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, well, uh, we'll see We'll see how it gets on. Um, but yeah, that's uh, just a bit of little news from Wimbledon. Um, what have we got coming up tomorrow, though? Uh, Roland Garros, I think Rafa's been shoved over to Suzanne Longlon. <laughs> hey, Djokovic was on Longlen uh, for his round two match against Molkan, so I think... Yeah, it's fine. It's They're getting fine. the token, the token second court match out of the way, aren't they? They have to be on there for for one of their seven, well, possible seven. Um, uh, we've got Diane Parry and uh, against Stone Stevens. Uh, that's going to be quite a fun one. I think Sebi Corda and Carlos Alcaraz are the night session, so that's going to be um, interesting. Cam Norrie's out on Simone Mathieu. Uh, we've got Benchich Fernandez. That could be interesting. And then Anissa Mukova. That I mean, that could be a long three setter, couldn't it? 
Uh, Goff Kinefi. There's loads of great matches tomorrow. Azarenka Teichman. <gasps> Teichman's. Uh, we've 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 predicted highly of Teichman. So yes. oh. I know, uh, <laughs> but I'm also a big Azarenka fan, and I, I feel like oh, there's a big chance. There's a big chance for anyone in this part of the draw. So uh, yeah, that's a nice match to watch. I think all eyes has to be on that quarter Alcaraz night session because quarter is the last person to have beaten Alcaraz, and you know it was it was interesting to hear Alcaraz talking about you know. He was making that transition from Miami to Monte Carlo, hard court to clay court. And he said that was very, very challenging and perhaps was one of the reasons that, you know, led to that defeat. There's obviously got going to be those can't be those any any excuses anymore. So I feel like this is both of them on on level footing. Alcaraz is certainly going to need to up his game from from the last round. So many, you know, so many frame shots, so many errors. Um you know, in that match against Ramos Villas, he's going to need to keep that down considerably in order to, uh, you know, keep Corda at bay. But uh, yeah, that could be quite a interesting tussle, I think. And I think the night session conditions as well could could play a factor, Kim, because I do think that, I know that there is only kind of one match in this night session, but I get the impression that the conditions between the day and the night are considerably, considerably different. And that could, you know, affect, have as much on effect on the outcome, I think, as the players. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to to see um, how all that influences it. Um, but what, one thing before we go, Joel, uh, what do you make of these Adidas kits for the French with the uh, sort of patterns on the front? Yeah. Semi Corder was wearing it, the black one with the white patterns and there's a white one with the black patterns i mean are you are you a fan or are you you know what's your no, opinion uh, you're not no, <laughs> no no fashion faux pas for me it's they're just a bit just a bit all over the place i think as you said it's a pattern it doesn't feel it feels more like a graphic and yeah actually for me it, it doesn't feel like a pattern it feels more like a graphic to me and i don't i think i prefer more patterned style tops and it just looks a bit all over the place to me. So yeah, I'm not not the huge, not a huge fan of it. Give me a give me a solid colour tea any day of the week. But yeah, I think yeah, hopefully we, we don't have to see much more of this. Well, we won't see much more of it. Come come the all whites of Wimbledon. See, I'm I'm quite I like what what Calder's wearing, the black with the white one. I, I I'm actually quite okay. a fan. I think yeah. I mean it, he look he it looks good on him. He carries it well. Maybe not on everyone, but there we go. Uh <laughs> but um yeah, um You'll be back, I think, with Chris for the third round catch-up uh, because I am otherwise occupied actually going to tennis, which is fun. Um, Where are you so going, Kim? I'm going. French Open? No, sadly not. So I'm going to, <laughs> d- 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 drum roll, the Surbiton Challenger. Uh, yeah, I- I'm going onto the grass courts. I'm uh, going to the- for the real stuff. Um, Sur- Surbiton Trophy on on Sunday, yeah. It's qualifiers as well, isn't it? It is qualifying. It's free. It's free. It's the first day. There can be no criticism that all we care about is ATP Tour, WTA Tour. We love all of it. And I'm also going to be at Surbiton, but I'm waiting till quarterfinals next Friday. So, um, but uh, but yeah, uh, Chris will be joining me uh, Sunday morning. We're going to be looking back on round three, as well as looking ahead to week two and all the round four matchups. So I hope you can join us on Sunday for that episode. But in the meantime, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this round two catch up with the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on to stay up to date on all the action at Roland Garros. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media or email the show. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Um, and if you want to leave us any feedback or comments or questions, you can hit us up on those social channels. Or if you prefer to email us, uh, do so via PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Uh, don't forget to also check out our website at the moment, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back on Sunday morning at Passing Shot HQ for our round three catch up. It will be me and Chris. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.